Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builders Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to find out how to take your online privacy back, and Joseph Sorio will walk us through exactly how to get that done. Now, he's the found a co-founder of Flash Routers, which is a custom router and Wi-Fi networking solution provider that focuses on privacy and VPN integration. Joseph, who do you guys serve? We serve mostly individuals and small businesses looking for a small network integration. We don't necessarily do larger things because we create systems and then let people utilize them. We were usually considered a, we call a value added reseller, a VAR, and we sell to like MSPs sometimes, which is like a managed service provider, someone that would manage a smaller network or if you had a bunch of apartments in different states and you wanted to manage the Wi-Fi networks or connections or security, smaller setups. Uh, but our main business is actually in integrating for individuals for their homes um, if they're trying to basically do a default encryption of, of everything, all their security in one step. Most people use VPN, uh, have used it for work or they use it when they travel for on one device. So you can set it up on your laptop and that's pretty, pretty not easy, but it's doable. There's a, you download something and you install it and you're good. What we do is we actually create a, a network-wide security blanket, which means the, at the router level, so instead of doing device setup, you do it one time at the router and then it manages everything. So your kids, your wife, your family, your grandparents, whoever moves in uh, to the house is under network protection and you can do, do it without them even knowing basically um, that you're already securing them. So we call it you know, an online security system in that way. So I'm curious, Joseph, do your, do your customers already have in their mind the, the need for security? Or is that something that you have to point out to people when you engage with them? Generally, yeah, they they if they come in and they're just looking for a router, it's harder to upgrade and sell to our level. It's definitely more people that are have had issues or are more privacy inclined. Because um, if you just want something to project your Wi-Fi stronger, that might not be our solutions. We do have high high level options that do that, but that's not our priority. Because that's what the big boys that of this type of industry do. You have Linksys, Netgear, Amazon owns a Wi-Fi company, Google owns a Wi-Fi company. But that's the thing. These are huge companies. They're, the reason they're selling you these devices oftentimes is they're utilizing the data that you're providing via your network. They're getting a free foothold in your network for pennies on the dollar and you're paying for it and maybe paying a subscription on top of it for them to protect you. That's not necessarily our business. We do have options and we do subscriptions and stuff, but ours is more to give you support because that's the thing we, we found that most people get frustrated with. Not that the device, it sucks if the Wi-Fi doesn't work well, but they don't know about what they don't know when it comes to security and they get scared, but they also just don't know how to do it themselves. And they're worried about being able to not be able to fix it. And when your stuff, when your Wi-Fi goes down, it, it's probably the most upsetting things to people these days. People used to say their phone went out. If your landline goes out, for most people, they have their cell phone, they have three other options. If your Wi-Fi goes out, unless you you know how to turn your phone into a hotspot or do something else, even then, it's not going to be the same thing. Yeah, we can't necessarily fix your Wi-Fi. If your internet goes out, 
that's the the worst customer service companies in America, right? You have Verizon, AT&T, all these people, but they're the worst. And I deal with it all the time that people are trying to get rid of those things. We can't, we wish we could be an ISP. That's a multi billion, trillion dollar industry, but we do our best to optimize what they're giving you. One thing we've learned actually from day one, pretty much is that people think, oh, my Verizon gives me a router, so I don't need yours. The reason they give you a router oftentimes is to give you a restricted uh, device that actually doesn't perform that well. They want it to perform to a certain level. So you're happy enough. They want to give you a, something you can rent. They pay $4 for it. They rent it to you for $10 a month. So they make that on top of everything else they're making. They also can literally take the data and analytics from what you're watching, streaming, doing on there and use it for, they resell that as part of their profit margin. I mean, there's so many things people don't think about when it comes to their data and the value that it has, that they take a $10 thing and they're like, oh, that's fine. But when it comes to it, they're at, people say, if something's free, you're, you're the one paying, you're paying for it with your something. So Facebook is free, but it's not free. You're giving away everything, all of your data and all insight just to get that free service. So your identity and your security and your privacy and your data is the most valuable thing basically you have without even knowing it oftentimes. Indeed. Maybe you could explain to our listeners, Joseph, how you guys go about solving this problem you've articulated. Maybe a case study. How does somebody show up in your universe? And then how do you walk them through? And then what sort of long-term situation or solution do you put people in? So maybe a case study or some other way of explaining how you go about delivering your service. Sure. So two of uh, the the the, two, the the most basic or long-term solution that we've handled is streaming. A lot of cost, customers travel or move, or let's say you retire and you leave the US and you move to Mexico or you move to Canada to get a cheaper light, uh, living, light, cost of living. Our routers basically can help you integrate a location that you aren't in. So that's a lot of times our business model is people are trying to mask their location. So there's either country by country, city by city, state by state. So the inside the US type solution would be, let's say you're, I, I hate using this word because I do dislike the team, but let's say you're a Yankee fan, okay? And how the system works these days is if you are ba if you're in New York, you can't get the MLB package and get New York for free. So the MLB package, which I'm a Padres fan living in New York, is about $90 or whatever for the year. Now to get Yankees games in New York to watch them, you have to pay about $200 a month to get cable, different streaming services. That's for six months. That's $1,200, even though I, because I like the team of where I live. So what m many people use our devices for with a VPN service is to say, okay, if I put my IP address in Philadelphia, then then I can watch Yankees games, right? And I can watch Rangers games. Now, this is not something we don't handle or own a VPN service. This is a gray area use case, but it's a very popular use case that we know exists. We don't do anything about it. We just provide hardware to do that. Our comparison would be, you know, you used to buy, you buy an iPhone and you used to put MP3s on it. If you brought your own MP3s, Apple's not responsible for what MP3s and things you put on the phone. They're just allowing you to play it, right? So that is our point. Our goal is that for geo access for content. The other side is we've had people that move to countries with very restrictive governments, let's say China or the Middle East to Dubai or something like that. And they're looking to basically also tunnel all their traffic through the US because if they have local internet, 
it's restricted. They don't have access to anything. They may be getting tracked. They're worried about being a governmental in in intervention in Dubai specifically. It may not be everyone's cup of tea, but they literally filter out all pornography, anything that, you know, entertainment, gambling. So these things are blocked out. You cannot get to them on their internet. So our devices allow you to maintain a connectivity uh, to home. And we, we think that's that you're right to that, because especially if you're only there for a year, let's say you're working for an oil company and you're sent there for a year, you're still a resident of another country. You're just living there. You And, you, and, and, there, and some of these countries do have laws where you maybe can, can't do this. But in, in general, on an individualized level, we believe in personal liberty, that wherever you go, you should be able to do what you want with yourself, and with your internet access, and not actually be feel like you're being tracked, everything you're doing is being followed, and you're being restricted. We are an internet liberty freedom company. Excellent. I like that tagline very much. So talking about uh, taglines and so forth, uh, you've mentioned a couple of competitors. I know that... You've got a hugely competitive arena you guys are in. So how do you differentiate yourself from that competition out there, Joseph? Yeah, and I think we we're talking about this a little bit before the show, but I, I do think the biggest thing you can do is actually be customer help helping. Support, I think we all know that tech support has gotten worse and worse and worse. And I can't say that we're perfect at it. I'm sure you look at our reviews and there's always someone that's going to be upset. The number one problem we have is that we do have a lot of older customers and they're used to phone support. I will tell you, and I try to tell this to everybody that I ever meet that asks about this, phone support is a nightmare. And companies that do it, uh, try to do it, they never do it well, and people are never happy with it, especially in our business. When you're on a router and someone's calling you and saying, my router doesn't work, there's nothing you can do from that point, right? You need to get them steps to get them online. They need to have some way of you seeing what they're doing. So our number one support level that's included in our, what we call, we have service plans. So in our, if you buy any router from us, the first three months of that subscription service plan is free to make sure you're up and running, everything's working. You can continue on to it for a, a certain price level, depending on what it is. But we do what's called remote team viewer sessions where we'll remote into your computer and fix the problem if we can. And that's what we do. So we actually just get in there. We go straight to that step. Initially, we'll give you helpful tips. If we're not online, we're not a 24-hour company. We're still a small business. We have 10 to 15 employees that are basically handling these type of cases. We have more employees that handle our overall business and fulfillment and making the software and everything else. But our core business, like day-to-day -day for that is smaller, but we try to make it where we actually fix things. The default, if most people, or if you order from Amazon, some doesn't work they click return and that's it our goal is to get to deflect that return and that's very important to us because returns are really expensive and i think that's a really big part a part of why companies go under and most people don't understand that that okay free shipping isn't free <laughs> someone's paying for it <laughs> and we for a long time did not do free shipping but if you're having not having free shipping it's just included in the price the way amazon works is the cut the a client pays both ways, has no deflection tools, no support, no assistance. Our site, we try to deflect by giving people assistance as, as much as we can to see if it'll work because otherwise we're also, it's environmental killer to fly things across the country to then end up in a landfill because that's really what it does. I can tell you from what happens at an Amazon warehouse, I've been to a few of them. There's just piles of detritus that will never be accrued again. And when there's huge businesses in actually acquiring that Amazon property and 
get buying it at five cents on the dollar and giant bulks and just trying to resell it again because it's so much. There's so much waste and so much returning that we try to cater to those customers that want this. And we also have a special niche, right? That's our big difference is we, we do that privacy niche where our goal is to do that encryption. That is not necessarily other networking companies niche. So interesting. Let's talk about your business. You've told us why uh, you're so different from your competition, and I applaud you for that, Joseph. Where did the idea of getting into this business come from? Did you have a previous business? You mentioned earlier that you've got a co-founder. So give us uh, sort of the listeners among us that are entrepreneurial. How did you go about building your business? What were your major milestones? What did you learn along the way? If you're going to follow my tracks, you would want to start very early. I met my co-founder. We were, I think, three, maybe four years old in preschool. And I'm very lucky to have gotten a really good education. I, I went to private school. My parent, my grandparents were very, wanted my education to be really good and started me off. They were not happy with the district of like where I grew up. And so I started at a Jewish private school. Yeah, pretty young. And that's where I met my I met him. I don't think we're talking about business yet, but I met my co-founder, Dave, and we're still friends and co- we worked. I just messaged with him 10 minutes ago. That was 35 years ago at this point. And so that I don't know if everyone can replicate that, but I will say that tells me to find good people that you can connect with beforehand. You can always find it with business, but the problem you'll have is if it's only about business sometimes, especially from entrepreneurship, it could be hard because you're starting, you're going to be very reliant on that person. You have to make sure that's the person you want to work with or can work, collaborate with forever until it's the end. That was the beginning of our meeting. And I knew him for a long time. We both went off. We went to school. I actually, in high school, I worked at an e-commerce company probably before they called it that. And we call it an e-tailer back then maybe, or we were getting orders via fax and typing in credit card numbers into this like dial-up machine. And then I would take a peanut machine and where you pack the things yourself in a basement and that company. So it was actually a neighbor across the street was looking for someone that knew how to use computers because they had a website and they were selling wacky gifts. And it was wonderfullywacky.com was the, the company at that point. And I was, I think 15 and I started doing that. I did product descriptions for things. There's Yoda back there, but it's not Yoda. We're talking things that are like pranks, a lot of prank stuff, things that'd be like little turds or things that farted. Or if you remember that fish that used to make that talks on your wall, that type of thing. We used to sell all those type of things. And I did that through college pretty much. And even when I got out of college, I pretty much ran that company, the sales and marketing side of that. And what I learned pretty early on was, and what people ended up naming was SEO, right? I, I learned how to put the, the in the topics you'd use meta keywords. These are pretty basic stuff now, but back then people just made a webpage and hoped it would work. I was keyword stuffing. I was doing engaging descriptions for these products with the keywords in there. And at one point we were actually listed on Google the, and even before Google, AltaVista, Lycos, all the early search engines as the num as number one for funny Christmas gift, gag Christmas gift. So we had this keyword when you, before you could even advertise on it. And then we were actually there when you could, the first time you could advertise on a search engine, it was, I believe it was GoTo, which was then bought by, I think it was bought by Disney at some point. And you would just bid pennies by pennies. So you just go up, you'd see someone bet two cents and you bid three cents and you'd be bidding on these keywords. So I basically was doing search engine optimization and keyword planning and 
search engine stuff in 25 years ago. And so that's how I got into being able to do that. And then from there, I went to school for English film studies to watch movies and, and enjoy and but also work on the side. I was still doing this stuff on the side because I could do it online, right? That's That was the key. It was Microsoft front page back then. It was before you could do easy web development. You were jerry-rigging shopping carts and you have to pull little snippets of code and put a shopping cart in and hope that it would transact. And this is probably sounds crazy to anyone. I, I don't know who's listening to this that's much younger than me. It, it sounds like crazy how complicated it was to do the simplest thing. And I eventually left that company and I initially started playing poker online instead because that was a hot thing probably about 15 years ago. And that's when I reconnected with my business partner. We were both playing poker online and we were, had a, a different schedule because we were doing that. It was worldwide and we were playing we would play those overnight tournaments. They start about 7 p.m. Eastern, run about six hours. We'd be playing three or four tournaments at the same time. And so we started talking and he actually ended up going to an, he was in Cornell and he went to an entrepreneurial program to finish out his degree. And he, he basically asked me, do you want to try to start, start a business? And I said, yeah, because I wasn't looking to play poker forever, but it was paying the bills or at least paying rent and allowed me to take a little time off because I had been working literally since I was 12 years old. Even before that, I worked at a flea market with my grandfather. I worked, I've been working since forever. So this was my time to do a different job that wasn't running around in, in sweat equity. And then when my, uh, when he asked me, I said, okay, let, let's think about it. We did a couple of ideas. He's a big tennis guy. I don't know if he'll want me to, I don't think we, I don't think it'll ever be stolen, but we did buy domains and tried to actually manufacture a product at one point for uh, a tennis ball vending machine that we were going to put into like parks where you could buy tennis balls on the spot because people forget to bring tennis balls. And so we tried to figure out that logistical challenge because that's it was probably a lot harder than we thought. <laughs> Basically it was then expensive, a lot more. You're like, well, it's just a vending machine, but it literally you'd have to find something that could claw that size. So that didn't necessarily work out. And what actually really triggered it was there was a blackout of internet gambling basically online. And it actually, all these poker stars and all these other big poker companies got shut down because the US government prevented um, money transacting with, that was basically a crackdown. So it stopped online gambling for a little while. And what we found was that a lot of people were leaning to VPN to, to try to get around that. And while we never did that because it wasn't a perfect system and it, it just wasn't that interesting, we did find that one of his friends from college actually owned one of these VPN companies. And when he talked to him, he said, is there anything you think we could do in this space? He's like, we do get requests for routers that could do this, just set up with this. And if you could do that, we'll put you on our homepage and as an option and we'll recommend you. And that's pretty much it. And that was 12 years ago. It feels 5,000 years ago and also yesterday at a certain point. But I don't know if that's a long-winded story of how <laughs> I met someone at four years old and 35 years later, we're selling business, selling routers out of our warehouse. So. That was a beautiful and entertaining story. Today, what's your company look like from a management standpoint? Do you guys plan a year in advance? How do you run your business day to day, Joseph? Yeah, it's really hard depending on your size and what you're doing. For a long time, we haven't been in control of, I would say, the product mix, right? We've been reliant. So I don't know if I went through this too much, but our products for a long time. And the reason our company is called Flash Routers is what we would do is we would flash routers. So flash means add firmware, an alternative firmware that would basically be more inclined to security and protection uh, onto the hardware. And so that was our value add, right? No one else was really doing that. We were taking off the shelf hardware. We were adding that and then we were adding price based on our what we were doing. So 
we were standing alone and even the the manufacturers themselves didn't mind it. They actually were encouraging it and they didn't they just didn't have no interest in it because it wasn't enough of money worthwhile. And then eventually they started selling similar options, but we would still give them to sell tweaked versions of those. So that was the first, I would say, decade of our business. The last two to three years, we've been focused on mostly our own applications over the top to give a value add. And now we're actually working. We, we have a product that we've been already been selling for the last year or so that really is our product. We have the control of everything. And that, that product's called Privacy Hero. And that one is trying to be a kind of ecosystem. And that's what a lot of people are trying to do, obviously, in businesses. They want to, if you own the system, right? If uh, Apple owns iTunes, uh, the, the store, the Apple, the store, but and they take a cut, right? We don't necessarily need a cut, but we have a subscription and something that we can basically pass through and give upgrades and give modifications. So in the last few years, especially, we've been able to try to do that and, and look out future. And that's our big focus right now is developing features, enhancements that are on the network side that people will appreciate and actually value because routers are commoditized a lot of times in general. Although I think people have opened up that there is a big difference, especially since there's so much importance of streaming and Wi-Fi and working from home has definitely been so much pressure on this one choke point of everyone's home network. And it wasn't something that they thought about five years ago, but then now they can't not think about it. We do plan on it. It's just that things have definitely changed on the focus and energies there. The other thing is that our biggest customer base is people that already work with these big VPN providers. I don't know if I've mentioned them, but we work primarily with ExpressVPN, NordVPN. We worked, we've worked with up to 50 providers in the past. However, there's only three or four that a lot of people use at this point. That's also streamlined the, the brands. We are just trying to make better and better solutions for those customers that are on these platforms that we're talking billion dollar companies that have millions of subscribers. So we tr that's who we work with primarily to, to get off the ground and, and make those solutions for those products. So our focus is on that and planning out that. So I'd say we plan out budgeting wise, we plan out a year. Dream wise, we always have a list of ideas that we're pushing forward. It's hard to map it because we don't have huge amount of people just doing planning, right? Everyone in our, every, there's no one in our company that has one job. That's what you learn as entrepreneurs. You can have a title. My title could be chief. I think it's chief operating officer. I'm also the CFO. I'm also this. I pay, I, I make sure the bills, there's money in the accounts to pay the bills. I don't necessarily pay all of them, but I make sure that there's operating income. I'm in charge of our marketing. Oftentimes I'm in charge of our emails. I don't do all of them. Again, a lot of the stuff gets sectioned off, but everyone's got their hands in everything. As much as you'd like to make it divided, it's hard to do everything at the same time and plan out a couple of years in advance, but we definitely try. What do you feel that's holding you back right now as an organization? There's, a, there's definitely a lot of things. You were talking, I think, a little bit about negotiations and, and dealing with if companies, but the structure of software and it, there's such a pressure now on subscription for everything you do and everything you're doing. You still have to buy a piece of software. I'll give my no, number one frustrating example of lately is you used to be able to buy QuickBooks and you could keep it for five years and it costs a couple hundred dollars and that was it. And then you did your accounting. Now you have to pay a monthly, like they literally degraded all of it. If you try to get that desktop version, which doesn't work anyway, it's like a couple thousand dollars a year. 
And we're talking about, we're a business. We don't even do active QuickBooks. It's just for our tax purposes. And now that's going to cost us eventually a couple hundred dollars a month. So every single software is reaching into your pocket at the same time. So if you want to do something new or you want to try something, there is no try anymore. A lot of times it's, if you do it for one month, it's basically half the price of doing it for an entire year. So you have to make all these large scale commitments to things before, and they'll give you these trials and everything's rosy, but it's not. And I think that's the hardest thing is you're trying to we say replacing people or at least like giving them the tools to help you. But these things are doing trying to do their job for them and they cost as much as the employee. So it's hard to get the software and the person and pay for both and try to do the growth without the sales on the other side sometimes. So I think that's where I get my biggest frustrations is just trying to make way that balance on top of doing future planning. It's just, we were dealing with a long time and I don't want to uh, do too much disparaging of a, a large company, but we were dealing with, or we deal, we, we run on a platform called Magento, which most people don't even know what it is, which is surprising to me, but it's like Shopify, which is like a store platform because you need these kind of baseline things that do a lot of security, the framework for your website. You can have a website and you can add a little item, but it's going to be hard if we do subscriptions for actual security, those websites aren't that great. So you have to pay for an ecosystem. Then you have to pay for modules to fix that system and pay for this and pay for that. At a certain point, we were also paying Adobe, I think $36,000 a year to basically use software. But they said that they give us gold level support, but it was only if we never added any other module to the entire ecosystem, right? And these require modules to work. So their gold level support that they're charging for, no one can use it. <laughs> and so it's, we spent almost twice as much to stop using it. So we're locked into a system. The ecosystem is killer. It's breaking, it's degraded, it's old. And when you make the change, it's still old. And you're just, it's it can be so frustrating that you just have to rip yourself out of these things. And I know that it, it, I wish I could just open a store and widgets and people could just walk in and hand it to them. And sometimes I wish I owned a comic book store at this point, but that's, that's here and over there. But I think that's the number one frustration is just balancing that so many offers of so many things that promise to do so much and you want it to give to the people, but you also have to spend time with your people to learn how to use it. And are they maximizing it? Do they even have the time to maximize it? And every single thing adds just more time, more effort to doing it. So it becomes so hard to, to get over that hump with new stuff. I don't think we even fall. We don't even get excited. You used to get excited about so many new, this thing's going to change the world. AI maybe for us and for a lot of companies is exciting, at least because it can do things automatically, but it's still not going to be for, for the small business. It's going to be, they're not going to be able to do something with it, right? You can get a, a chat bot, but you could get a chat bot five years ago. It's probably a little bit better, but it's not much better. So uh, I don't even remember what the question was, but I can tell you that's definitely the, the top of our frustration list. That was pretty much it. What's frustrating you right now was the sort of the question. Joseph, how can our uh, various listeners get a hold of you? Potential customers, potential employees, et cetera. What's the best route to your in-basket? Yeah, you can reach us just flashrouters.com. There's basically just a, there's a chatbot. There's a ticketing system. You could email us. If you get through the tickets and it's some kind of inquiry, it'll get to me pretty quickly. I'm basically the ticketing manager. I'm not, I don't do tickets generally, but if you get to bulk or you have a project or you have something that needs custom firmware, networking solutions, 
like I said, we are definitely working with more with MSPs. So we're looking for partners in that space that are, we're dealing with a company in Alabama that kind of has small hotel chains and things like that. So there are, we want to work with people just like you were saying, your, I think your son, that custom experience. We want people that we can basically connect with. And we're not a gouging company. We're a partnership company. And that's what our business has been based on forever is working with different partners on solutions. And that's the one thing I, I love about my job is we get to do solutions and help people and find solutions. We're not causing problems, we're fixing problems, which I can't say everyone gets to do. Yeah, you can contact us through that. We have social media stuff, but I think the best way is probably just through, I think it's flashrouters.com slash contact, and you can get it through there. I have direct email, but I prefer make sure it goes through the system because it might go to, there might be a person that's better at it than me. I can do some sales, but you might have a support question. You might have a better thing or marketing or something that might go to somebody else. So that's probably the best uh, way to get a hold of me. Joseph, tell me, what's the one question that I should have maybe asked you and didn't that would give huge value to our listeners? Hmm. I'm not, I know I covered a lot of it. And the questions are leading and good. So I don't know if there's anything in that regard. But I will, I would want, I want to talk actually about, and I appreciate you letting me on here, but just podcasts in general, I think are. I, I, this is the first time in 12 years that I've ever been asked to do anything like this and even do interviews. It's funny because you get this, I read a lot of these magazines, the inks and the fast companies and the entrepreneurs and everything else. And you just get the same 30 companies and it does feel like awful. It's good for them because they paid. It's so expensive to get in these things. I can tell you from the amount of efforts and tr we've tried to do it, but we also we value our privacy in general. It was always a weird dichotomy for us to do, for me to do this. And then also to say, we're literally an internet privacy security company. And I felt like I should be doing this whole interview like this, basically with my hand over my face or doing the, the black face that they do on 60 minutes on a investigational piece. Because now that this is on here and is out there, someone can AI my voice and I can probably be ruined for the rest of my life in five minutes. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's anything specific, but I'll just say that if it is, if you have a passion for things like this and for asking questions and being curious, like it is great to do things like this. I know I mentioned it slightly before we, uh, on the, we talked as well. And the one thing I wanted to mention was that I, I know I did a podcast about my grandmother. She was a Holocaust survivor. And I think that this kind of passion projects it used to take years and years to do books and pictures and everything else. It's to, to take that energy, but the audience and the way you can find it, I don't want to say people don't read books. People read the podcast versions and the audio versions and the skimmed versions of books. But when you can get them an engrossing story or get someone that's interesting at telling the story, it actually will sink in. And that's my focus, why, why I did it that way and why I want to do something like this. I can take an hour here and answer all these questions, hopefully find some people that are interested in it, but I could spend years and then I'm at space one. What do I do with this book? How do I promote it as well? I think that that's the nice thing here. I don't know. What's the best thing about being on this podcast or what's the best thing about doing What's about the best thing about not working for this hour? <laughs> and I'm working, but not doing work with my team. I guess that wasn't a question more than an answer, but uh, yeah. It was gorgeous. I liked it. Uh, I will tell you, I, I told you earlier how many podcasts I've done. That was that was a very interesting answer question and answered. I loved it. <clears throat> so thanks, Joseph, very much. All right. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Bill. Everybody. <clears throat> Focus on the single fact that our businesses don't become extraordinary in a single moment. 
Instead, they get there as a result of the owner first creating a visionary strategy, second, employing a management system to execute that strategy, and number three, leveraging high-performance teams. Now, get you can get your hands on the key to those three things. Just go to getbillsgift.com. Thanks for listening, Joseph. Thanks for saying, sharing your time and your wisdom with us today. My pleasure, Bill. Great talking with you.